You're listening to the weekly teaching podcast of Willamette Christian Church in Westland, Oregon. We hope that what you hear today inspires you to laugh, question, think, and grow. If you'd like to connect with us even further, hit us up online at willamette.cc or shoot us a direct message on Instagram or Facebook. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this week's episode. That you could join us. If we haven't met, my name's Brian. I'm lead pastor here at Willamette. And today, uh, it's not just Fall Fest, but we are wrapping up this series that we've been doing all fall called Under Pressure. All, all September and October, as we go into November, we've been looking at this unavoidable reality. And I call it unavoidable because we want to avoid pressure. We try our very best to avoid pressure. But the reality is, is that it's unavoidable. That as much as we'd like to escape pressure, uh, we really can't avoid it. And so what does it mean for us in the midst of a world where we can't escape pressure to turn to God, to open the scriptures, and to allow this God of peace that we just prayed about to enter our lives so that, so that we, can be, we can be affected by God in the midst of this unavoidable pressure. And in this world, we've kind of been talking about this, we have two options when it comes to pressure. We can crack under pressure. I hope this does not happen for you, but it's a reality. I think some of us have felt like we're, we're cracking under pressure, but there's a better option. That's what we've been talking about, to be formed by pressure. That when we turn to God and we say, God, we can't escape this. We, we can't avoid it. So Lord, we're turning to you in the midst of it. And God will, will use this world and everything that we find ourselves in. And he will form us kind of like a, a diamond. When formed in the midst of pressure, something beautiful happens. And when we turn to God and we say, God, we want your way, not our way. God can do something in this world, even though we can't avoid pressure. So again, for about eight weeks, we've been looking at all the different types of pressure that we face, and we have one final one today. And today we're going to look at what do we do when things are out of our control? What do we do when we're, we're trying our very best to hold on, trying our best to control things, but, but life just seems out of control? And I don't know about you, uh, I fit some male stereotypes in some ways, uh, especially when it comes to control. Like, I, I think regardless of whether you fit some stereotypes, Almost all of us love to be in control in one way, shape, or form. But I fit some stereotypes. Like, I like the remote control. Can I get a witness from anybody out there? Like, I just do. I'm not going to be like, no, I don't care who has a remote. No, I like it. I like to control the volume. I like to control when we go from which game to which game. And that's the problem because I go from game to game. And Jen's like, we have the Hallmark Channel. I'm like, not in this house. No, I'm controlling this bad boy, right? Uh, I, I like to control. I, I like to control who drives. Like, I like to to be the driver of the car. Who's with me on this one? Anybody else like? Some people are like, oh, I don't care who. I'm like, how do you do that? No, I like the steering wheel. I like the gas pedal and I like the brake. And I'll even use excuses like, oh, when I don't drive, I get car sick. <laughs> no, I don't. I just want to drive, right? Like, I just want to drive. I like being in control. Uh, I have a, a fifth grader and eighth grader and I love my girls, but come on, somebody. I really like to control bedtime. Come on, right? Like, they're like, it's bedtime, girls. But dad, it's only, I know, but I'm in control. I'm dad. It's bedtime. You are going to bed right now because I said so. I'm in control. And I think the reality is we like to control things because so much of life is out of control. And kind of on, on a serious note, author Kate Bowler, she, uh, she writes about control this way. She simply puts it this way. Control is a drug and we are all hooked. 
We try so hard to hold things together and we feel like we're doing our part by holding all things together. Control is a drug and we are all hooked. And we, we realize how much is out of our control. I had someone tell me in, in between services, they're like, Brian, we can't even get our kids to eat a spoonful of peas, right? Like we, we are so out of control, we can't even do that. We look at gas prices and grocery prices and we're like, these prices are out of control. So much is out of control. We try to control everything that we possibly can. And, and then when it comes to life, not just groceries, not just just budget and things of life uh, of those types of things are out of control but but like we make plans for our life we do our very best to to be thoughtful and to think through things and to put all things together and, and we we have a plan for life and then when plans start uh, uh, messing up we we get kind of this out of left field something happens we get a curveball thrown out and then we're like man we we can't control we're trying to some of you are old enough to remember Mike Tyson, right? Iron Mike, you fought Evander Holyfield, bit his ear off. Uh, some of you are like, I remember where I was when like X, Y, and Z. I remember exactly where I was when he, Mike Tyson bit Evander Holyfield's ear off. That's for another story. But Mike Tyson was famous for this quote. He said this, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth, Right? Like everyone would have a strategy against Iron Mike. To, like, yeah, he's short and he goes inside, so we're going to keep him outside. Everyone's got a plan. He's like, until I punch him in the mouth, then, then it's game over. All those plans go out the window. And some of us, if we're honest, we're like, man, it just feels like I keep getting punched in the mouth. I've had plans and the plans just fall apart. And in this world, Jesus says, you're going to have trouble. You're going to get punched in the mouth. And if we can't avoid it, if we can't bob and weave, if we, if we are going to get punched, what do we do? And the reality is, is that when this hits us time and time again, this becomes a topic really about hope versus despair. And, and in that, we have a question that we have to answer when we're thinking about hope and despair. How do I carry on when I can't control what's going on? How do I function? How, how do I contribute? How do I, how do I carry on when I, I can't seem to control What's going on? And that's what we're going to do today is we're going to look at what God has for us. Because when we look at our own way of how do we cope when things are out of our control, when we listen to society, or when we get advice from people who might mean well, that advice is a lot of times very contrary to what Jesus invites us into. But on, on just kind of human advice, society's advice, maybe you, you've had a coach do this or a dad or, or maybe like a, a friend and they're trying to motivate you. You know, you got punched in the mouth some way or shape or form and they use, you know, they're trying to be eloquent and they come up with phrases like this. Suck it up, buttercup, right? Like, suck it up, buttercup. Yo, you fell down. Come on, suck it up. Let's go. Rub some dirt on it, right? I was at my uh, daughter's soccer game yesterday, and she fell down, and I'm like, come on, get up, get up. Just shake it off, right? Just keep going. That's kind of the advice that we give. And we mean well, and there is a place there is a place to rub some dirt on it. There is a place to just kind of shake it off and keep going. But if you keep telling someone to rub some dirt on it and to just suck it up and keep going when it comes to life, when your life is falling apart, when things are out of your control and the only advice you get is try harder or just keep going, it's exhausting. And it's not the advice Jesus invites us into. 
It's a different picture. And that's what we want to look at as we look at the scriptures today. Because Jesus encountered a crowd where their life was out of control. And Jesus didn't say, suck it up, buttercup. Jesus didn't say, try harder or, or just have a positive attitude. So much of life today it is positive thinking. And you guys retweet stuff, put signs on your wall and, and Instagram little script with positive thinking. And again, I, I, it's better than the alternative, right? What are we going to do? Post negative thinking? Today sucks. So bad. You know, like that. That's not really postable. But here's what you need to know. And I think you agree with me that you can think positively all day long. And at the end of the day, we're still left with the life that we have. And so Jesus is saying, I get it. I'm not just going to ask you to be positive or think positive. I'm going to actually invite you into a better way. So our setting today is in Luke chapter 6. And Jesus encounters some people and they have been punched in the mouth. To just kind of set it up, look at Luke chapter 6, verse 17 and 18. This is just a paraphrase of these two verses. A large crowd had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And the people all tried to touch him. This is this picture of, uh, of people gathering to Jesus. They, they have, uh, they're sick, they're diseased, they, they need to be healed. And they're just trying to get to Jesus to the point of like, we just want to touch the guy. We just, if we could just touch him, then, then he can solve everything that's out of control in our life. And we can get back to the life that we were living before. We, we've been punched in the mouth. Things are not going the way that we expected. We need someone to fix it. Maybe Jesus can fix it. We're just going to try to touch him. And Jesus did. And Jesus did heal. But it's important for us to know in our life and in their life that Jesus was not interested in merely healing someone so that they could go back to the unknowns of life, so that they could go back to living the life that they always had. Jesus wanted to do a deeper work that didn't just solve the problem in the moment, but changed the trajectory that they were on. And so Jesus, while all these people are trying to get to Jesus and touch Jesus, Jesus begins to teach. Jesus begins to preach. He begins to share about a better way. And can you imagine people that are, are sick and, and dying disease? They're like, we don't care about the teaching. Just hook us up, Jesus. Like, just, just fix our problem and, and we won't bother you anymore. We're not really interested in the teaching. We just want to touch you. But Jesus understands that there's a deeper issue at work. Because it may be out of control today and you may fix it today, but there's going to be something out of control tomorrow. And the next day, and the next day. And so he begins to teach. So verses 19 through 45, Jesus paints this picture about a better way. A better way to follow Jesus. Something that God created us for. To follow God's way rather than our own way. So they're listening to this message. And then he puts it all together in verse 46. And he makes it very clear. And he says this. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? So Jesus is talking to all these people. He's explaining all this about the kingdom of God. And then he says, why are you calling me Lord, Lord, but you're not doing what I say? And this idea of Lord, if you uh, listen to biblical scholars, they would say this idea of Lord, Lord, it is a deep, deep meaning. Sometimes we say it very, very flippantly here in church, like Jesus is my Lord and Savior. But this idea of Lord, it actually means an intense affirmation of allegiance. 
an intense affirmation of allegiance. Jesus is saying, you're telling me that I'm your Lord, that you have this intense affirmation of allegiance. We're all in Jesus, Lord, Lord. But then he goes, but you're not even doing what I say. You, you, you want to touch me, but you don't want to follow me. You want me to fix your problem, but you don't want to be entered into the very way that I created you that is so much more than a momentary issue. And so Jesus goes, I have something better for you. I want to show you what it's like to enter into this kind of a life so that you're not just grasping at straws on this end. And so in verse 47, he begins to paint this picture. And he says this in verse 47. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. He's like, you're, you're wanting just this quick fix, but I want to show you what it is to say, Lord, Lord, with this extreme allegiance, this affirmation of, of intense allegiance to Jesus. And, and those people are like something that is so much better than what you've been told. But he says, those types of people are people that come to me, that learn Hear, hear my words, and then put into practice. So what are we to do? What, what are we to do? We're to come to Jesus, right? He says, everyone who comes to me, we're to learn from Jesus. He says, everyone who hears my words, and we are to follow Jesus. He says, everyone who puts them into practice follows after me. This is what this person's like. And, and the next verse, he paints the picture. But I want to slow down and kind of look at what this is to come to Jesus, learn from Jesus, and follow Jesus. We'll start with come to Jesus. Jesus is saying, if you actually want to experience me, you, you, don't, just, you don't just reach out and, and touch me, get a fix. You need to come to me. To be formed by Christ is for us to first decide that we are going to come to Jesus. It's good to know that, that when Jesus preached this sermon, there were all different types of people that were listening to his message. But he said, if anyone would come to me, and every single person was invited to draw closer to Jesus. In fact, if you take Luke chapter 6 and break it down, there were actually these widening concentric circles, if you will, of people. Uh, and it looks kind of like this. There was Jesus who was teaching, and then it says in, the, in Luke chapter 6 that the 12 were very close to him in proximity. Then it says a great crowd of his disciples were beyond the 12. Some of you need to know this. There were more disciples than just the 12 that considered Jesus his rabbi, they were learning from Jesus. They were being taught by Jesus. And then it says that a great multitude in verse 17 also gathered. So Jesus is talking to different groups of people that had different proximity to Jesus. But he was telling every single one of these circles, you need to keep drawing close to me. To take a step closer, to not just have a belief of God, to not just be interested in God, but to draw close. And later on in the New Testament, James, the brother of Jesus, believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Can you imagine believing that your brother, think about your brother for just a second if you have one, <laughs> believing that your brother is the Messiah? Uh, good news, uh, James didn't drink the Kool-Aid at the beginning. He did not believe. Uh, when Jesus died on the cross, he ran with everybody else. But then Jesus revealed himself to his brother and he put his faith in Jesus as the Messiah. So James is growing up with Jesus. Jesus isn't making any uh, mistakes. He, he's sinless. And he's this good guy. And he's kind of following along. But then Jesus is crucified. He dies. He, he runs. And then Jesus shows up again to his brother. 
And James is like, hello, (laughs) I believe. He saw the resurrected Jesus. He put it all together and put his faith and then wrote a letter to the church instructing people what it is to follow Jesus. And in James chapter four, verse eight, he says, if you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. The question for us today is not, do you believe in God, but are you drawing near to God? Are you coming close to God? Are you in your life? Are you saying, God, I, I want to go your way and not my way and things are out of control and I kind of just want you to, to fix me and I'll get on with it. And Jesus said, no, 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 you need to come to me. You need to draw near to me. And we all have that question to ask, no matter what circle you are in, we all should have a lifestyle of saying, God, I want to draw near to you. And so often people like me, people who are pastors or vocational or grew up in the church, whatever category you want to put me in, we can use head knowledge to go, no, I get it. I understand it. But we're not actually drawing to Jesus. But Jesus says, if anyone's going to come to me, this is what it should look like. Because we don't just believe in Jesus. We come to Jesus. Then we go to that second part and we learn from Jesus. He says, come to me and here's my voice. Listens to my instructions. Allows me to teach you. He's saying, are you willing to be taught or do you just want to be fixed? Come on, somebody. Are you willing to be taught or do you just want to be fixed? He says, I want you to hear my voice. And other times in the gospel account of Jesus, he would say things like this. My sheep hear my voice and they know my voice and they follow me. We're interested in leaning in and tuning in to the voice of Jesus. Things are out of control. I got punched in the mouth. I can't seem to control. Jesus saying, cool, come to me and and learn from me. Lean into what it is to follow me and, and not do things your way. And so often in church today, we're all susceptible to this. We want Jesus and. We want Jesus and our kind of way of thinking. Jesus and my view about certain things. And Jesus is like, no, if you're going to do it my way, you've got to let go of your way and say, I I want to do it your way. And the Apostle Paul, who would teach the church about following Jesus, he would warn the church, not society, He would warn the church about the church kind of changing their views about life by taking Jesus and adding in some of the things that they wanted to hear with their ears. But Jesus says, if you hear my voice, follow after me. But in 2 Timothy chapter 4, the Apostle Paul's talking to Timothy about this, about the church, the early church. And he says this, kind of a warning. And he says this, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And when the Apostle Paul told this to Timothy, he wasn't like, there's going to be crazy religions out there or there's going to be crazy people doing crazy stuff. He was talking to the church, just kind of morphing their beliefs and having itching ears. Well, I want my religion, I want my faith to include this part of life, even though when I listen to Jesus, it's a little contrary. And they would form and get the right voices in their life to affirm their own narrative rather than the narrative of Jesus. And Jesus goes, if your life is out of control, you will try to fix it and you will even try to morph your beliefs into something that works for you so that you can control it. But Jesus is saying, hey, follow after me. Listen to my voice. Listen to my narrative and allow my narrative to direct your steps rather than even your own narrative. 
So Jesus is saying, hey, all of you who got punched in the mouth, life's out of control, you just want to touch me, you just want me to fix your life, come to me, draw near to me, learn from me. And then we have that third part, follow Jesus, says, and put it into practice. Like live this out, follow me, I will show you what it's like. You're like, I don't know how to follow Jesus. She's like, cool, I'm, I'm leading you in a direction. Put it into practice, live this out. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and put it into practice, I will, I will show you what it is like. And friends, again, in our world, when we're talking about things being under pressure and trying to figure it out and trying to solve the problems, so often I think we, we just get, try to get a little bit of Jesus into our life rather than Jesus being our life. But again, Jesus was super clear about this. In Matthew chapter 16, he paints this picture and he says this. He told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus goes, if you're actually going to do it my way, I want to be super clear with you. It's not going to work out for you to kind of go, well, I'm going to do it my way on some things and Jesus' way on others. You have to deny yourself. You have to say, Jesus, this isn't working out for me. I agree with you. I'm going to let this go. And I'm drawing near to you. I'm learning from you. And I'm following after you. And Jesus goes, if you do this, it's a completely different life than people just trying to fix their lives. It's a completely different life than people who, who believe in God but actually aren't following Jesus. It's a completely different life in this world where you get punched in the face all the time. It's a completely different reaction because these kinds of people that, that draw near, that learn from me, that put it into practice, they are, they are being restored into the very kind of people that we were created to be. And so let, let's read it one more time in verse 40, 46. Then we'll get to the picture. 46, this is the repeat. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. And Jesus is longing for us to get a new vision of what it's like to live in a world where you can't avoid getting punched in the face where you cannot avoid the realities. He goes, I want to show you what it's like to live in this world, even though this is a world where we get punched all the time. And this is what he says in verse 48. He says, they are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. Jesus is saying, this is what I have for you. This is the life that I have for you. You cannot control the weather. In this world, it will rain. The winds will come. The floods will come. You will try to avoid the weather, but you can't avoid the weather. So let me show you what it's like to be in the midst of a world that punches people all the time to still remain strong, to be remain stable, to be able to endure, to be able to be healthy and whole. Jesus says, this, this is what I have for you. And he talks about a foundation that was built on the rock. And you know this, don't you, that foundations are built before the storms come. Foundations are built as primary, as priority. We don't just try to build a foundation when we get punched in the mouth. No, Jesus is saying, decide who you are. Before a storm ever comes, 
before cancer ever hits, before that phone call ever happens, but before your plans all unravel. Decide who is your Lord, who you have a deep allegiance to, and let that foundation be your foundation. And as a foundation is built ahead of time, when those storms come, you will stay strong. And how many of you know that the phone calls do come in this life? How many of you do know that as much as you try to make plans and you do your very best out of compassion and care and responsibility, you chart your course and you chart your course for your kids and you chart your course for this world and you do your very best to make plans, but we cannot control the variables of this world. So often we're shocked because we're like, I'm overwhelmed Because I'm out of control, things are out of my control. The reality is, is that there are so many variables in this world. And Jesus goes, I get it. While you're trying to control the variables, put your hope in me and those variables won't affect you like they used to. But you can't control it. Kind of reminds me of, of running. Some of you know this. I've, I've ran a bunch of marathons and it's kind of, kind of my crazy because people are like, you have to be crazy to run a marathon. I'm like, yeah, uh, it's, it's just kind of my form of crazy. And, and, and it reminds me of when I ran the Ventura Marathon a, a few years ago. I did everything I knew to do to train and prepare for a marathon. It wasn't my first marathon. I knew how hard marathons are. I put in the work. I had my hydration pack. I made sure to be hydrated. I, I understood the course. I did everything that I knew to do. And the gun goes off and I'm running and, and it's good so far. And I'm ready to go. And I even took some pictures of like the early on stages. And I'm like, okay, this is, this is Ventura Marathon. Let's go. I'm ready for this. And, and it's all good. And, and then some variables hit. Some uncontrollable variables hit. Because see, Ventura, if you don't know, is in Southern California. Southern California happens to be a little bit warmer than the Pacific Northwest. And on this race, it started off nice and overcast. And it was in the winter. And I'm like, we're good. We're good. I'm ready for this. But the clouds parted. And the sun shone. And it was beautiful weather for everyone not running a marathon. But that sun broke out. And that day in in winter, it was a high of 80 degrees. And this body was not made for 80-degree marathons. I wasn't ready, and the clouds parted, and it just hit, and it was a variable I could not control. And I melted. And I went from going for a a personal best, a a record, on pace for record, to literally falling apart. I ended up walking, and I'm just like, I'm not going to make it. And it was so bad that I got to the end and collapsed. And uh, I, but I didn't collapse around the first aid people, so they didn't see me. And so I'm just kind of laying there, and I literally didn't know what to do. And I'm laying there, I'm like, I'm not okay, I'm not okay. And this may sound a little hyperbolic, but it was my actual feeling at the time. I was feeling so like I was losing, I was like, I think this is how people die. And I literally couldn't get up and I couldn't fix it. And I, I, you know, my mind's swirling and I just grabbed my phone to try to call. And I like took a picture in the moment. I'm about to show you this picture. (laughs) 
I'm going to show you this picture for a very short amount of time because it's very embarrassing, okay? <laughs> this is a horrible picture. There's no glamour shots on this bad boy. But it's just the state of, of not being able to control the variables. The first picture I'm about to show you is me walking and just going, this didn't work out, okay? I didn't know that it was really not going to work out. I was going to collapse at the end. Okay, so just to let you know how I felt, here it is. Okay. <laughs> This is me walking and not running. This is me dying, okay? Literally, okay, let's get rid of it. It's kind of, tri it's triggering, it's triggering, triggering. But I'm like, I can't control all the variables. I tried to control the variables and I cannot. And Jesus is saying, in this world, you will never be able to control the variables. And if you spend your time and then you look at your retirement. You look at your portfolio. You look at gas price. That's just money, right? You look at inflation. You're like, I, I, I don't know what. And you're trying to control. You can spend your whole time spending your thoughts and your energy on trying to control something you can never control. Or you can be invited into the life that Jesus offered to draw near to God, to learn from him, and to do what he called you to do. Because Jesus is our foundation. He is our rock. He is our hope. Our hope is not in the weather working out right. Because it will never work out right. But Jesus, in the midst of storms, in the midst of rain, in the midst of floods, he is firm and secure. Hebrews chapter 6 says this about Jesus. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Who is Jesus? Jesus invites us into a better way of life, a better way of thinking, a better way of learning that we say, okay, I'm going I'm to follow you, Jesus. Things are out of my control. I can try to suck it up, buttercup. I can rub some dirt. I can try to keep going. Or I can stop putting my hope in my circumstances and start putting my hope in an anchor who is firm and secure. So back to our question, hope versus despair. How do you carry on when you can't control what's going on? How do we operate in this life when so much is out of our control? I think some of you might subconsciously be going, Brian, I thought you were going to tell us how to get things in control because things are out of control. News is we can't and we never will be able to. But we have an anchor, firm and secure, and that changes the way that we think. It changes the way we operate and it changes where our hope is. This is why people freak out when it comes to politics because people are making decisions that affect us and we can't control it. And we get angry and we get paranoid and we get consumed by trying to control what other people are doing because it's affecting our lives. And we spend our energy on that and we're trying to control it and we get louder and louder and it's not making any difference. And so we just get angry and we figure out that there is this reality of, of nothing is working. I don't know what to do. And we spend our life trying to control the uncontrollable weather. But Jesus says, I have something better for you that will actually, actually change the trajectory of your thoughts and your anxiety and your peace. 
It made me think recently um, on, on Amazon Prime, for any of you that have that, the Lord of the Rings trilogy now has a separate like series, Lord of the Rings series. I'm not going to talk about that because some people are like, I'm still watching or I want to watch it. No big deal. No spoilers here. But it got me thinking that the whole trilogy of, of Lord of the Rings and this, this new series is really a, a, about hope versus despair about how, how to move forward when everything is out of your control. How, how do you carry on when you can't control the outcome? And so many of us are anxious because we can't control the outcome. And one of the characters in the trilogy, not the show, no spoilers, in the trilogy is the steward of Gandor. Do you guys remember this guy? This guy's creepy guy. This guy is perfect for Halloween right here. Like just be this, this guy got creepy written all over him. But he's called the steward of Gandor. Because he's a steward, he is not the king. And he realizes he can never be king. And he realizes his sons will never be king. It is out of his control. He's only a steward. He can't be the king. And then the battle even starts turning on him, even in that scenario. He can't be king. Sons won't be king. And now the battle's falling apart. And he, as a result, in despair falls apart. And he begins to realize it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter the decisions I make. It doesn't matter what's going on. Nothing that I do matters. And in despair, he unravels, falls apart, and eventually he perishes because his despair directs his steps. But then, if you look at it, in fact, um, I'm going to talk about Gandalf in just a moment. But I'm reminded of, of uh, John Orberg, who's a pastor, a writer, and he talks about this. I listened to him in Atlanta last week. So this is a paraphrase, not a quote, because he said it, he didn't write it. But he actually talks about this kind of thinking in despair. And he writes this, or he said this. Despair is not merely believing the outcome is out of my control, but that the actions that I take don't matter. It's one thing when things are out of your control and you're like, ah, things are out of my control. But despair goes even beyond that. And he goes, it's not just out of my control, but no matter what I do, no matter what I do, it doesn't even matter because it won't change the outcome. And when we despair, we, we therefore, we go, you know what? I don't have to carry on with my responsibility. I don't have to carry on with my role. The, the steward of Gandor is like, there's nothing for me to do. It doesn't matter. And we abdicate our responsibility because you were like, you know what? It doesn't matter. And we fall into despair. And I see this happening with people. I see this happening with Christians. I see this happening with dads where dads will say, you know what? Things are out of my control. Nothing that I do matters. And in despair, they abdicate their responsibility to be a dad. And they remove themselves from the, the equation because they're like, you know what? It doesn't change anything. No one listens to me. Uh, uh, nothing I do matters. And they remove themselves from the responsibility because of despair. I see friends do this to friends. Oh, no, they, they're going to be like this. Nothing that I do matters. And we abdicate our relationships. I see Christians doing this. You know what? The, hell, the world can just go to hell because nothing that we do matters. It's just going to hell in a handbasket and entire local churches will take a step back from their responsibility out of despair because they're like, you know what? At the end of the day, nothing we do matters anyways. And we find ourselves so far from the life that Jesus invited us to because we're trying to control the outcomes and in despair, we just let it go. I love this in the trilogy of the Lord of the Rings because while you have the steward of Gandor going, 
it's all for loss. I'm just going to perish. And he abdicates his responsibility. Gandalf gives us a, a better picture. Look at what he says. Despair is only for those who can see clearly through to the end. And we cannot. Despair is only for people who can see through every situation, every encounter. You can see all the way to the end. A generation from now, you know how it's all going to work out perfectly. If you can see that, then go ahead and despair. But what he was saying is none of us can see. None of us can see how it's all going to work out. So therefore, we should not despair. Therefore, we should hold on to hope. Therefore, we should step into our responsibility. Therefore, we should follow Jesus. Therefore, we should learn from him. We should apply to our life. And even though the rain will still come, even though the floods will rise, even though people will make decisions that affect our lives that we cannot control, we will follow Jesus. We will let him be our firm foundation. And it changes our perspective of our life and the world in which we live. Because our hope is in him, not a politician, not the weather, and not in the stock market. It's in Christ and Christ alone, and he is the one who makes all things new. This is the better life. This is for us. This isn't for those people out there that need Jesus. We all need Jesus, and we all need to draw near to God. We all need to be formed by the fire, because the rains will hit. The floods will come, but we can be formed in the fire, by the fire, into a diamond. And Jesus says, I have a responsibility for you. Don't despair. I am your hope, not the circumstances that you find yourself in. Lean in now more than ever. And he tells a crowd that's just looking for a quick fix, just looking for the weather to get better. He says, I get it and I do love you and I will heal you, but I have something so much more for you. Let me say it this way. Our hope is not in controlling the outcome. Our hope is in Jesus despite the outcome. And when you follow Jesus, you will never regret it. When you follow Jesus and trust Jesus, you have no idea what he's doing to work things out in ways that we will never see. I'm going to wrap up the message today with this beautiful quote by Chris Lowey, who uh, he was writing about Ignatius and his view of, of trusting God regardless of the circumstances. And it's kind of a long quote, but it's so beautiful. Look at what he says. He says, people who are wise spiritually persevere, not only out of pride, integrity, and commitment to their values. He, he continues, they persevere because they are all at once trusting, optimistic, foolish, and humble enough to hope and expect that the seeds of their efforts will blossom in times and ways and places that they can neither, neither predict nor control. He says, we persevere. We follow Jesus. We do our part. We don't take a step back. Nothing that I do matters. Everything's out of my control. No, we persevere. Why? Because we believe we're trusting God that the seeds that I've planted, that I will never see flourish, or I don't know how it's ever going to work out. I don't know when. I don't know how. I don't know where. I, can't, I don't know how it's all going to work out, but it will not be wasted. Friends, God will never waste your wounds. He, he will redeem that which was meant for, for, for bad. He will redeem it for what, what is good. And those of us who understand this pressure that we face in this world and the things that are out of control, we believe that the seeds of every step that we take towards Jesus 
it will blossom. So do not despair. When life is out of control, plant seeds, trusting that God will take them for good. They will blossom. Water those seeds. Nurture those seeds. Be the church. Be the dad. Be the mom. Be the son. The daughter. Be the neighbor. Be the coworker. Be who God has invited us to be as we put our hope in Christ, in Christ alone. Do not step back because nothing matters. Do not step back because nothing changes anyways. No, we are trusting that God is good and that he has a plan and that we have a role to play. Here's our reality. Control is a drug, and we are all hooked. We could also put it this way. Control is a drug, and we are all cursed. This is just the human condition. But Jesus came to break the curse of sin and death and shame. And you may have regrets and shame. If I only would have done this as a parent, if I only could have controlled this, if I only would have done this, if I, if I could only control things, and Jesus is saying, look, 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 look. Your hope isn't in what you can control. Your hope is in the anchor who is firm and secure. And that's why we take communion. This is why we focus on Christ and him crucified. He came to break the curse. In fact, if you have the communion elements, perhaps you received them when you walked in today. Looks like this on the top, there's the first layer you peel off and it kind of reveals that, that bread and the second layer you peel back and it reveals the juice. But before we partake in communion, friends, we don't do this out of ritual. We don't do this because this is what Christians do or this is what you do at church. We do this to remember. Jesus gathered the disciples who were about, watch this. He gathered the disciples who were about to be punched in the mouth. Jesus was about to be crucified. They were about to scatter. But he took bread and he broke it. And he said, when you gather, whenever you gathered, do this in remembrance of me. And we are to remember Christ. We are to remember Christ who came fully human, who experienced abandonment, who experienced uh, uh, ridicule and rejection. His soul was vexed. He, he experienced the pain of people in life. He also experienced the pain of his body, physical pain. He can identify with whatever is out of control in your life. This bread represents the body of Jesus. And it is to remind you that he can identify with whatever is out of control in your life. And he said, put your hope in me not in those things. Let's partake of the bread together. We peel back this second layer that reveals the juice that represents the blood of Jesus, the forgiveness of our sins. Those of us sitting here were reminded that we need to be forgiven, that we do it our own way. As much as we deny ourselves and pick up our cross, we're never done needing Jesus and the forgiveness of Jesus in our life. Friends, this isn't just merely our religion, our belief, our church. We are to draw near to Christ and to continually take a step towards him. 
I wonder what this juice needs to represent in your life today, sin that needs to be forgiven, a a way of thinking, a way of trusting, a way of controlling. You would say, Jesus, forgive me of doing it my way. I need your forgiveness. Some of you might even be sitting here today and you'd say, Brian, if I'm honest, I'm in church, but I'm far from God. I I may believe in God, I've heard about God, but I, I can't say, Lord, Lord. I can't truly, truly say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, deep allegiance and trust. And the good news is you don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to work your way up to God. Jesus worked his way down to you. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. But you have to put your faith in him and receive his grace to forgive you. So whether this is for the first time or the hundredth time, let's all take a step towards Jesus as we trust him for the forgiveness of our sins. Let's partake together.